Mike Sains. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, we're excited to invite you to the GOAT series. Now, since I turned 50 last year, I had to ask my staff what the GOAT series meant. They said, well, Pastor, that's the greatest of all time. And so they had selected some messages that um, they felt like fit that bill. And last week was a tremendous uh, time that we had on losing the image of God. And if you missed that message, you could catch up. Just go to YouTube and do a search for the Harbor Worship Center. And when you see our, our logo or icon, just subscribe to that. And uh, you'll really be blessed by it. Today, we're going to go down a different road. I want to talk with you, if the Lord would help me, about Satan's plot and God's plan. I want you to know that from the day you were conceived, the devil had a plan to take you out. He don't want us to thrive. He don't want us to exist as God's children. And so he has everything, every trick in the book to try to destroy you. But today, if God helps me, I want to explore the tactics of his plot and the tenets of God's plan. First of all, let me start in Isaiah 54 and 17. The Bible says, no weapon that is formed against us, the children of God, shall prosper. He says, and every tongue that rises against us in, uh, against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the Lord and the uh, and their righteousnesses of me, says the Lord. So what he says when he means no weapon, that means none, nada, zero, zilch. It includes every description of any weapon you could find and think of, and that weapon cannot prosper against us. When we say any weapon that is formed, that means however it comes about, whether it's molded, fashioned, forged, framed, however, it's not going to prosper against the child of God. He says, and every tongue that rises against you, or fingertip, Facebook, Twitter, uh, every word, he says, every gossip, every lie, every slander, all of that, none of that is going to prosper. Some of, sometimes we are prone as children of God to fret uh, when people just really malign us in person or uh, on social. And I've been there. I mean, you know, the, the, the flesh wants to lash out. But then I've had times when I just be taking my walk in the morning with Kelly and, you know, and she'll say, well, so-and-so had said this and whatever. And I said, you know what? It doesn't really make no difference. I don't have to defend it. God's got it under control. Amen? I don't have to speak a word. Not, not a word spoken in evil or slander or whatever is going to prosper. But God says, I'm going to look after you and I'm going to take care of it. So um, Proverbs says in verse 11 or verse 8 of chapter 11, the righteous is delivered out of trouble and the wicked comes in his stead. Jeremiah 29 11, very familiar passage. He says that I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, good thoughts and not evil, to give you an expected end. In other words, God does have a plan for you. God has a plan. But, but before we get to the plan, Satan has a plot. He wants to destroy you, and he's going to use at least three tactics that I'll talk about today. But I want you to understand, as much as he wants to destroy you with his plot, God has a wonderful plan for your life, whether you see it or not. 
So let's take off down this road. The first tactic that Satan employs against the child of God is he wants, to, he wants to destroy your life. And so the first tactic he uses is isolation. Did you know what happens in isolation? You feel alone. You feel all by yourself. You're isolated. You don't have a shoulder to lean on or a shoulder to cry on. Amen? You have no one to help you. The Bible says, uh, you know, two is better than one because if one fall into the ditch, the other could help him up. He said a threefold cord or three-strand cord or braid is not easily broken. Why do they twist those together? Because they know when you tie these together, they are stronger together. And so, but, but the devil wants to isolate you. That is one of the first things that happens to one of our uh, prisoners of war, when they are taken captive, they might capture five at one time and they carry them back to their base camp and then they isolate them. They separate them from each other to break down their morale. They, they, they take them away from each other because they know if they're together, they will bond together, they will hang together, they will stay together, they will die together. But if they know if they could take them into a room, take them into another area, they can tell this one that they've done something else to this one and he's already turned and he's already told all kind of secrets and they can lie, they can tell all kind of stuff. But the idea is they isolate them from their support. Now, I want to I ask you, which animal gets killed first? You take a lamb that has wandered away from the fold a lamb that has gotten over here by himself, the, the, the prowling tiger or lion sees that. They're not going to run pounce right into the middle of the, the herd, but they see that one that's by itself. It's like that person that just slipped away from the house of God. Are you with me? They're out there by themselves. There's no shoulder to cry on. There's nobody who's got your back. And the tiger just pounces and says, I've got you isolated. That is a tactic of all enemies to get you by yourself. Nobody, you know, if, if you go out into a sketchy area, some of y'all go. You know, and you already told yourself before you get down there, we got to stay together, man. They got to be three of us because, I mean, you, you, you're going to walk through some areas and you can name some of them here in the county, and I won't, but um, you know what I'm talking about. You ain't going by yourself. Hello? But see, isolation the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. But here's what the devil wants to do. He wants to say, he wants to isolate you by separation. Separation. He achieves this by opening his little tackle box up and, you know, he picks out a beautiful, shiny lure. He picks out something that, that looks like, let's just say you're all fish right now, okay? You know, you're bass laying up under a log. And, and, you know, all of a sudden somebody's named Satan is up on the bank and he's got his rod and reel out and he's reached into his tackle box. He's got something that glitters, man, and it can jiggle just right. I think that had a double meaning, didn't it? Anyway, so he sprayed a little something on it and it smells like good bait. You know, that, that smells like something, oh, oh, y'all with me? Say amen. And that bass is, she's sitting down there just, mm, mm. Gill's moving in and out. He's looking and he sees the light hits that thing and then it rattles a little bit. He says, oh, I know that's something good. Ah, and so he's stalking just a little bit and he's stalking and then that guy just sort of jerks it a little bit just right and it looks like it's alive and, and boy, that sure was, oh, by the time Satan's reared back, 
and there's a barb on the end of that hook, and it won't let it come out. And that fish is just about to be isolated in the deep fryer. Are y'all with me? Why? And so Satan, is his job is to throw something out there for you to get you to look at it. Oh, my, I got to have this. This looks right. And then he pulls you away. Every man is drawn away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is finished, it brings forth uh, sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. That's what the Bible says. And none of us are exempt from it. But don't think that God is tempting me, for James said, God is not tempted by evil, neither does he tempt any man. But remember Adam and Eve. You remember them and, and the separation that came because of sin. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to get you alone. He wants to get you isolated from God's people. He wants to get you away from your support system. I remember what happened to Elijah. Elijah prayed 63 words in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, and fire from God fell out of heaven, licked up the 12 barrels of water, consumed the sacrifice and the rocks and all of that. He got anointed of God and killed 450 prophets of Baal. And one chapter later, a little old lady by the name of Jezebel it ain't got nothing to do with makeup and jewelry and all that. She was Ahab's wife. Ahab was the most wicked king that ever ruled Israel. And the Bible added a little bit of note to that. Stirred up by his wicked wife. Wives, you do have some influence over your husband. He's the most wicked king that ever ruled Israel. Stirred on by his wicked wife. Jezebel. Jezebel sent word to the prophet and said, see if your life is not just like one of these prophets you've killed today by the sun down tomorrow. And all of a sudden, he took off, man. He, he headed out of town. He left Mount Carmel and headed, you know, he knew God was on Mount Carmel, but that's where she knew he was as well. So he ran to the next place or the last place he knew God was. He ran to the Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. Hello? And, and you know what? He's running. He's running. And then he, he just, he, he's got a servant with him, and he can't keep up. And finally, he tells him, you stay back there. I'm going to go out here and pray a little bit. And he falls down beside a juniper tree, and he lays his head over a tree and said, oh, God, take away my, my life now. I, I'm, you know, I'm ready to die. I'm tired of this. I mean, just yesterday or the day before, he called fire down from heaven with 63 words, you know, just an incredible feat, and now he's ready to die. You know why? He, he's gotten by himself. He's alone. He don't have nobody to stir him up. He, you know, he, he's right there, and he's willing to quit. And, you know, he goes through this conversation with God. He goes on to the Mount Horeb. And, of course, i got to tell you this before I go on. It's not in the notes. It's just free. But, but the Bible says when he got to the Mount of God, there was an earthquake, and there was a wind, and there was a fire, and God was not in any of that. But all of a sudden, there was a still, small. That said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, you know, I, I, I've escaped. I'm the only one that's serving you, God. And God had a word for him. He said, listen to me, Elijah. He said, I got 7,000 prophets on the other side of this hill that have never bowed their knee to Baal. They've never kissed his image. You, you see, you're alone right now. You're over here by yourself. You cannot isolate yourself. The devil will wear you out every time. You need each other. You need God's people. So the question begs then, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or peril? And 
for your sake, Paul said. It is, we face death all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. He said, but no, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Oh, he goes further. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, he says, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I don't have to be isolated. Now, there are people who have set themselves in a fortress and built a box around them with concrete walls and said, I don't want to have nothing to do with y'all. Stay out, stay out. And the bottom line is you're really saying, I'm going to stay in. And I'm telling you, when you're isolated, you are vulnerable more than you can know. When you're isolated, you've got nobody to watch your back. Could you imagine a quarterback out there without a line to protect him? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine him there without the guards? I mean, some of them's in trouble with them, but great day without them. So, and then there's isolation by, by death. John the Revelator was banished. See, the devil throws this big old death thing in front of us and says, you know, you're leaving, you know, you're going. And we all are. I mean, we just don't know when. I mean, I, mean, it's, I look in the mirror, man, I say, what happened to Mike? Saying, I don't know, man, I'm getting older. Hair's turned gray and then the rest of it's turned loose and it's, it just continues. And I don't know when it is and I look around now and I go to funerals and I say, man, these people that I, I'm going to funerals are, they getting closer and closer to my age or I'm getting closer and closer to theirs. But here's what I understand. The death says, you'll be isolated. But Paul said, no, you won't. For now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Huh? The Bible says, all we, uh, you know, uh, all of us are going to go down that way and like water spilt out upon the ground, it cannot be gathered again. This is 2 Samuel 14 and 14. He said, but God hath devised a means whereby his banished be not expelled from him. Amen. So, hey, I'm not going to be isolated by the time John the Baptist's head rolled off of that uh, um, guillotine and hit the bottom. His spirit was already in the presence of the Lord. For the great preacher Ecclesiastes said, he said, there's going to come a time when this old body's going to get tired. Paul said, corruption's going to put on incorruption. This old mortal's going to lay down and I'm going to take on immortal. Paul said, grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Amen? Why? Because this old physical body's going to go back to the ground from whence it came and the spirit of God's going to go back to the God that gave it. And hey, that ain't the end either there, baby. Because the 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13 tells me there will come a time when the trumpet of the Lord will sound and the dead, this old flesh body that went down in that ground, it is going to get up and meet that spirit that went to be with God. They'll come back together again. Here I am in the presence of the Lord forevermore. So it's just temporary. This whole body will lay down. It's just temporary. It was starting to wear out anyway. But I'm going to tell you this. When the Lord calls me, when he invigorates me again, when his spirit comes in, he's going to raise me in newness of life. Amen. An immortal body. Give me an incorruptible body that I'll have for the endless ages. Woo. So, death. Let me tell you some boys that wasn't worried about it. 
The name was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had, had built up an image of his own self. And he said, everybody will kneel down at the sound of the flute and the psaltery and the sackbut and the harp. And when that music plays, everybody's going to bow. Well, these are Hebrew boys, and they serve God. Jehovah, they ain't serving, they ain't bowing. They, they know the commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He shall not make of any graven image and whatever. So the music played, and these boys stood up. They wasn't fixing to bow. They stood. Well, they, they said, hey, hey, you guys, you don't understand. The king's going to kill. I mean, there's a furnace over there. He's heated the thing up seven times hotter. He said, if you don't bow down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, you will be burned the same hour. They played it again. Strike it up, boys. They stood right there. Everybody else fell down, bowed. They said, nope. So the king said, come on into my chamber. It'd be like just easing right on into my office, just not quite as nice. And they go in there, and the king says, well, I understand y'all three didn't bow. No, sir. Well, I'm going to give you one more opportunity to do in here what you wouldn't do out there. And if you just bow down in here, we'll go back out there and say everything's okay. And they spoke up and said, oh, king, we ain't even careful to answer you in this matter. We are not going to bow out there, and we're not going to be a hypocrite and come in here and do it. Our God is able to deliver us from your furnace. But if he don't, it's been a good life. Now, that last part was mine. But it's been a good life, but I, and I want to go on and be with him. So you know what? I imagine he dropped the gavel down and said, all right, boys, line them up and throw them in. They lined them up. And the fire was so hot when they opened the furnace, it killed the guards that carried them. They threw them down into the fire. And in just a few seconds, the king grabbed his royal chair and slid over to a window and looked down. And he says to his lieutenants and all of his captains, didn't we throw three men in the fire? They said, yes, Lord, we threw three. He said, how is it that I see four? And the fourth man looks like the Son of God. Now, I don't know how he knew in the Old Testament what the Son of God looked like, but he saw him in the fire. I'm telling you, death cannot separate me from my God. God says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The king said, I see four men. The fourth one looks like the Son of God. And they brought them out, and the Bible said they didn't even smell like smoke. Fire hadn't kindled on them. Now, I want to tell you something. I've burnt the hairs off my arms and my eyebrows lighting my grill before. Huh? I hit that striker and I had the propane on it. Woo! I ain't got no hair to spare. But, but let me tell you something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced this. James and Stephen faced it. John the Baptist, they killed all. I mean, well, they didn't kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God delivered them. Why God delivers some and others don't, I don't know. Why some get healed and some don't, I don't know. But I know this. It's only a short while and all of us are going to be done. I know that's not popular. But uh, here's what I know. Second Corinthians, Paul wrote and said to the Corinthians, he, he, I, you, you see, the tactic of the, the devil's plan is isolation. The tenet of God, excuse me, the tactic of Satan's plot 
is isolation, but the tenet of God's plan is, here it is, 2 Corinthians 5 and 1, for we know that this earthly, earthly house of this tabernacle are dissolved. We have a building of God and a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Woo, woo. Why? Because John said, don't let your heart be troubled. And you know, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many mansions, and I'm going to go and prepare you a place. And if I go and prepare you a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also, and where I'm going, you know, and the way you know, whoo, he's, he's building me a house, whoo, my Lord. So listen, when this life is over, and no matter how it comes, I'm not going to be isolated, but I'm going to be with him. Satan's plot is isolation, but God's plan is you'll never be where my grace can't keep you. Why did David say this? This is amazing. He said, one day, he wrote Psalm 139. He said, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. He said, if I make my bed in the depths of hell, behold, there you are. If I settle on the, or if I rise on the wings of the morning and I settle on the far side of the sea, even your hand is there and your right hand holds me fast. If I say darkness will hide me, he said, the light uh, will become night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you because you see it all together. Amen? Well, so Jesus says, I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, you've all had somebody walk out on you. Hmm? I've had people walk out on me in, in life and in the church. You've had it. And it won't be the last time. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's going to happen again. But I'm going to tell you this, when I've had family walk out, when I've had friends walk out, when I've had partners walk out, many, many nights I've laid beside the bed or in the altar and the Lord said, I still got you. I ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. That don't mean I've been right all the time either. It just means God said, I ain't going to leave you. Everybody else may, but I ain't going to. Listen, I want to tell you this. There's not a pit deep enough. There's not a prison strong enough. There's not a mountain high enough or an army uh, strong enough to keep God from his people. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He's walked in the flames of a fiery furnace and he's tread the waves of a driven sea. He scaled the heights of jagged mountains, stepped through death's door and took the keys of death and hell, said, I am he that liveth and was yet alive forevermore. I was dead. Now I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys. I'm alpha. I'm omega. I'm first. I'm last. I'm beginning. I'm in. There was none before me. There'll be none after me. I am the Lord God. Oh, Almighty. No wonder David would write, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest the head, my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. Woo-wee. Listen, Jesus experienced the feeling of being all alone. You remember when he cried in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Oh God, if there's another way, let this pass. I mean, he cried and he prayed till his sweat was as great drops of blood. You remember as he hung upon the cross that day, he cried, Eli, Eli, lay me, say back the night. Interpreted, it means, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm telling you, he knows what it feels like to be alone. And he was alone so that you won't have to be. 
We are never, never, never alone. Move to the next point now. So not only does he want to isolate you, that's the first tactic of Satan's plot. The second one is to make you insolvent. That means if I can't get you isolated, I can get you broke. I don't need you to raise your hand. That means ruined. That means bankrupt. That means collapsed. If I can't get you one way, I'll get you another. There was a Bible character by the name of Job. He's a great man in the Old Testament. He had seven sons and three daughters, had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. And in one day, a messenger come to him and said, Job, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing beside them, and the Sabaeans came Swooped down, carried them all away, killed them every, uh, killed them all, and the servants with the sword. And I, only I, have escaped to tell you this. And before he hardly got it out of his mouth, another one showed up and said, in verse 16 said, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, the fire of God has fallen out of heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants. It's consumed them, and I, only I, have escaped to tell you. And while this messenger was still speaking, another arrived and said, the Chaldeans have formed three bands. They fell upon the camels, they've carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the aid of the sword, and I, only I, have escaped. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, your sons and your daughters, Job, were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a great wind swept across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people. And they died. And I, only I, have escaped to tell you. Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, threw himself down with his face to the ground. And he said, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked will I return there. The Lord gives, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. What he said is, I was... One minute ago, I was the richest man in all the East. A moment ago, I had seven sons and three daughters. And now by the sundown today, I don't have a camel, I don't have a donkey, I don't have a son, and I don't have a daughter. But blessed be the name of the Lord my God. I didn't bring nothing here, and I might go with nothing, but he is still my God, and he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Wow. Man, so Job suffered isolation by the death of his children. He suffered insolvency with the loss of his livestock and his herds. But I want to tell you something. The apostle Paul would write hundreds of years later, and he would say, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I've been hungry. He said, and I have been filled. I've had it both ways, and I've understood that God is my source. Matter of fact, you got to understand this, Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all of my need according to what? Your bank account? Nope, because that won't meet it. But my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. I got a personal friend of mine. I'll just leave nameless. Felt like God would have him do something in his personal life, not his church life. It was pretty expensive to do. This man's been faithful for years, serving God, reaching that age in a few years of retirement. And he sold a little bit of property and he, he got some money. And uh, he was pastoring his church. And I don't know if he shared his vision. I don't know what he did, but he had a gentleman that come to him and handed him a check for 
$1,000. Pastor, this is what the Lord's laid upon my heart. And don't you fret. I know it's going to cost more, but there's more where that came from, and that ain't the end. Y'all are baffled. I would be too. But I want to tell you something. I serve a God that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all I could ever think or ask. You say, well, I'm insolvent. I don't have no way. Let me just give you a remedy real quick. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. That that you worry about, the rent that I've got to pay, the shoes that I'm, I'm going to wear, the backpack that I've got to buy, all of these things, God knows you have need of them. And his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me consider the lilies of the field they don't toil they don't spin but they are arrayed more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory the birds they, they, don't, they don't sow and they don't reap but God feeds them every day let me tell you what the prophet Habakkuk said about it Habakkuk 3 and 17 although the fig tree shall not blossom and neither shall the fruit uh, be in the vines the labor of the olive fails, the fields yield no meat, the flock is cut off from the fold, no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy. And you know what? He, I want y'all to notice he did not say I will groan and moan and bellyache on Facebook. He did not say that. He said if all of these things turn south, there, there, there's no flocks, there's no oil, the, the olive is not there, the, the cows aren't there, the goats aren't there. He said, yet I will joy in the God of my salvation, the Lord. God is my strength. I want you to understand something I heard Jensen Franklin say a number of years ago, and it intrigued me. He said, in my church, I had a, a considerable amount of wealthy people that was Big, big givers. And he said, but you know, the Lord taught me something. He said, because about the time you think this is my source, God says, I'll show you who your source is. And God will change that and send them across, you know, the country somewhere and humble you down and say, you know what? I am your source. This person's not your source. The bank ain't my source. God is our source. You might think, well, I, you know, TRF is my source. No, he ain't. God is your source. You say, my side job is my source. No, it ain't. You say, well, my business is my source. Well, if it is, then that's what you get. That's all you get. God is my source. And God can do more than my business could ever do. God could do more than you could do or anybody else could do. He is my source. I think about several people. I think about a widow in the Bible that uh, uh, she didn't have but a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. Elijah said, make me a cake first. She said, this is really all I got. I was making this for me and my son. He said, make me a cake first. She made him a cake, and guess what? Here's the testimony. She said, the meal did not waste, and the cruise of oil did not fail until God sent rain back on the ground. Here's another story. It comes out of 2 Kings. I believe it's chapter 5. Another woman, she was a preacher's widow. He died in debt. He wasn't in the Dave Ramsey debt snowball. But he died in debt. And the creditor said, we're coming to get your boys. They could legally do that. It's going to take his boys and make them bond slaves. And uh, the woman cried out to the man of God. His name was Elisha. She said, Elisha, I need you here. Tell me what to do. My, my husband died, and we owed a lot of money. They're coming to get my boys. He said, what do you have? She said, I ain't got nothing. He said, he said you mean you ain't got nothing? She said, well, all I got is a little bit of oil in a cruise, just a little bit of oil. He said, get that oil. He said, I want you to tell your boys to go through town 
and borrow every jar they can find. Borrow every vessel they can find. Don't borrow just a few, but borrow all you need. So they went and done it. They cleaned those vessels. Elisha said, I want you and your boys to go in a room. In other words, shut everything else outside. Sometimes, listen, you got to shut the doubt and the naysayers and all of that out. And I know you say, man, this is between me and God, and there's something great God's going to do. Sometimes people will mess with you. Hello? And so if I'd have listened to everybody, I wouldn't have come to Kingsland 22 years ago. But, but nonetheless, they went inside that room, and, uh, you know, the boy says, uh, um, give me a vessel, my brother. So he gives him a vessel, and he pours it full, hands it to Mama. She's wrapping them up and putting them over here. Another vessel, and he pours it. Another vessel, and he just keeps on pouring. He's probably looking at this thing and said, Mama, there's only about half a bottle. He pours it, and there's another, and he pours it, and there's another. And hey, five or ten bottles over there, big old jars, different size. And he keeps pouring. And he says, vessel, please. And the guy says, we ain't got no more. Here's the implication. If they would have borrowed more, God would have filled more. This thing here still ain't wasted. It's still right where it was. He took that and he filled that last one, filled them all up. They come out of that room, got a hold of the prophet, said, Elisha, We've done like you said. We have filled all the jars with oil. He said, good. Go sell the oil, pay your creditors, and live on the rest. Don't tell me that God is not enough. You don't have to suffer insolvency. Trust in the Lord, and he will make a way. So Satan's plot is for you to be insolvent, but God's plan is for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Seek first his kingdom. Give, and it shall be given unto you. You say, the, the, the pastor don't make no sense. I'm already broken. You're telling me to give. Try me in this, says the Lord. If I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there's not even room enough to receive. I remember, oh, it's been 15, 20 years ago now. My wife said to me, I mean, we were broke. I'm telling you, we were broke as a joke. We were bad broke. And she asked me, do you think we're not giving enough? And I ain't never hit her. I didn't then either. We don't believe in that around my place. Amen, we don't do that. I know she needed a whipping sometime, but anyway, we gave even harder and gave even more. We didn't have nothing to give, but I'm going to tell you something. God always gave back more than I gave in. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. See, to give uh, and, and to watch the Lord. You see, God can give you the desires of your heart. He has brought water out of a rock, and he has brought quail. I didn't say whales. I said quail from the sea. He rained light bread out of heaven for 40 years every morning except Sundays. Are y'all with me? And, and uh, with one boy's lunch pail, he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I'm telling you, this is uh, our God. His name is Jaira. That means provider. He is a God that is going to take care of his people. Well, the third tactic, so, so he wants to isolate you. If he can't get you by isolation, he'll try to get you by insolvency or both. He don't play fair, man. He'll, he'll try to get you isolated and broke. 
The last tactic that he'll use, and this one here is real popular, so I need everybody to just hang with me for a second. Is not only does he want you isolated or insolvent, he wants you indifferent. He wants you to where you cannot stand your brother or sister seated to your left or your right or before or behind you. You know why? He knows that a divided house cannot stand. Did you know what football coaches will tell you? If you lose the locker room, you're in trouble. In other words, if you, you, if you lose that unity of the, player, the players and the coach in the locker room where this is, this is us, this is us against the world, if you lose that mentality and they start cutting each other's throat, you cannot win championships unless the people are all on the same team pulling the same way. They'll all tell you that. So how does it happen? He tries his best to drive a wedge between you and God and between you and your brothers and sisters. He don't care how he does it, but he incites indifference by ways of sometimes flattery, sometimes gossip, sometimes slander, lies, all kinds of things. If he can just stir anything, he'll get you to believe. Some of you walking around, ah, church hates me. Pastor hates me. You ain't even asked me. Pastor hates me. Executive pastor hates me. Worship pastor hates me. Youth pastor hates me. Life group pastor hates me. I think I'm just going to go to the garden and eat worms. Maybe just take my life. Everybody hates me. And the devil will allow you to believe those kinds of lies. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, when people become indifferent, they are divided. The devil's plot is indifference, but God's plan is this. As much as lieth in you, live at peace with all men. He said the plot of the devil is to kill you by indifference. He says in God's tenet of his plan is this. He said if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, go to him and restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also fall. Nobody's exempt. He goes on. He says, if you're at the altar and you're about to give your offering to the Lord, you're down here and you, you feel like today I really need to really sow a seed. But as I'm just about to put it in the plate, I remember I have got an alt against my brother. The Bible says, lay your gift on the altar. Go make it right with your brother. And then come back and offer unto God. Now let me give you the reasoning. God, don't accept hypocritical worship. Now, in other words, you can fool me, you can fool somebody, but you ain't fooled God one bit. You can pay off the church and, and you're welcome to. But if you still hate your brother or your sister... It does you no good because God says, you know, well, I'm going to use all of that, but until you can forgive him or her, you still can't be forgiven of your own trespasses. Although that what you just did is going to benefit the kingdom of God greatly, and we certainly appreciate it. Don't let indifference carry you to hell. He says this in 1 Corinthians 
1, 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, Paul talking to the Corinthians. Brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same. There be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't but just a few months ago. I heard of a, of a bone of contention, and I said, you know, this, this could be, it could be bad. I made the phone call immediately. My staff will tell you, I have a saying, it is eat the frog. They know what that means. That means if there's that person you've got to contact that you know it's going to be a bad phone call. You don't want to. It's that meeting you got to have and you know it's going to be hell on earth and you don't want to do it. It's that letter you got to write. It's that email you got to respond to and you loathe and detest it. Eat the frog first. Well, that means if that frog's sitting on my bookshelf croaking all day, ribbit, 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 and you know before 5 o'clock today you got to eat that frog, don't listen to him croak all day. First thing in the morning, have a big breakfast. Eat the frog. Make the phone call. Set up the meeting. What I'm saying is this. Most, did you know about 90% of all of it is misunderstandings anyway? The devil would have you sit back and just let it cook. No. So I'm going to settle that as fast as I can. As fast as I can. And you don't go in there rubbernecking like you're somebody. You go in there giving everybody the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. And then if it does prove otherwise, you graciously say, I'm going to choose to forgive you anyway. Hello? And when you do it that way, God has got your back. I don't care. I've had them walk out the office. I've had them slam the door and run out the office. I've had them leave church. I've had them open websites and, and just put us down to the dogs. And I've had them call Cleveland and go to Cleveland or, or, or go to Tifton. It don't matter. Handle it the right way and God will honor you for it. He will. I refuse to let the devil use the tactic of indifference. If somebody's going to be indifferent with me, it's because they want to stay indifferent. I'm going to say, as for me, my friend, I'm going to forgive you, and I hope you'll forgive me. And as far as I'm concerned, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Well, you better stand with me. So today I've tried to show you. Satan has a plot of isolation. The tenant of God's plan is you are never alone. Hey, hey, I want you to catch something with me real quick. He is God omnipotent. Huh? Omnipotent. All-powerful. He is God omniscient. All-knowing. So he's got all power. He's got all knowledge. And he is God omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. And he's every win. That means while I'm doing this right now in this altar call, there might be some pastor underground in China somewhere or Moscow who's preaching under a heavy anointing and people are giving their hearts to the Lord and God's not confused. They're doing it all around the world right now. He is God everywhere and every win. Ooh. 
He has a plot to make you isolated, to make you insolvent. I didn't share this in the first session, but I'm going to share it to you right now because we're here. And we don't have no other service coming. So, Gideon said to the Lord, when all of all hell was breaking loose in Israel and they, their wives were being taken and raped and their women taken and their crops was taken, Midianites come in and had to wait with them. Here's what Gideon said. He claimed to be an, an angel of the Lord. He called Gideon a mighty man of valor and said, God's going to use you. And Gideon said, hey, but time out for just a second. If God is really on our side, why has all of this evil befallen us? And, and, and you know, that is a tactic the devil uses. Some of you are questioning right now. If I'm really serving God, I got saved. I come to church. I started paying my tithe. You know, I, I, I'm just about through smoking weed. God's convicted me about my drunken habit. God, you know, and all these things. And you're really trying to work on things. And you're asking God, because let me tell you, friend, you can't do it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Ghost to do it in you. But yet it ain't happened yet. And you took two steps forward and three back. Hello? And you're saying, if God really does love me and God does really care, why has all of this befallen us? Let me say this, friend. Don't walk by what you see. The Bible says we Christians walk by faith. We keep putting one foot down in front of the other. We keep believing God despite the odds that are against us. And here's what I want to tell you today. You don't have to be indifferent. You see, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No tactic, no gossip, no rumor, no accusation, no past history, no revealed sins, childhood wounds, no victimization, no verbal abuse, no diagnosis from the doctor, no ignorance, no evil look, no intimidation, no old buddies, no old flames, no old articles. You say, man, I ain't got none of that stuff. Run for public office and find out. They'll go back and find everywhere since you were teething. But no old newspaper article, no media exposure, no photographs, no old habits, no old phone numbers, no old notes, no weapon, no psychiatric evaluation, no emotion, no foul spirit, none of these. None of these is going to prosper against the child of God. You don't have to be isolated you choose to be isolated. You don't have to be insolvent. Amen. You can say, Pastor, I'm going to put God first regardless. And I promise you, God, if he has to reach down and grab you by the bootstraps, he will pull you right out of that gutter. And you certainly don't have to be indifferent. You choose to be indifferent. If you have all against your brother and sister, I want to tell you something. Some of the meanest spirited people in the world, God has allowed to become my friends. I'm not going to tell you who they are. But I've had some people when, when I, I came to town and said, people said, man, you ain't never going to befriend them. Had no problem at all. Why? Because when the Spirit of God goes before you, you don't have to be insolvent, you don't have to be isolated and you don't have to be indifferent. Bow with me right now. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I feel isolated. Let me see your hand. Come on, I feel isolated. So I'm a world to myself. How about you, sir, ma'am? I know somebody out there feels isolated. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Somebody else, how about you? 
Okay, who in the building says, Pastor, I feel like I'm insolvent. I'm on the edge of bankruptcy. I can't, I can't make this thing work. I, I'm plugging up holes, and I, I ain't got enough paper to plug all these holes. Let me see your hand. Come on. It's between you and God. I'm trying to help you. I'm not going to put you on the big screen. How about somebody else say, Pastor, I'm dealing with indifference. Let me see your hand. I, I need God to help me with some crazy brother or sister. And it might be the crazy person in the mirror. I don't know. But I know God is able to fix isolation, insolvency, and indifference. I want to pray for you. Listen, if I'm praying for you right now, and if you are lost and undone without Jesus, here's the simple thing. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with his mouth confession is made unto salvation. So as I pray about these tactics right now that the devil has put in your life, I want you to focus on the tenets of God's plan rather than the tactics of Satan's plot. The tenet of God's plan for isolation is you are never alone. I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the tenet for insolvency is he says, I'm more than enough. Let God supply your needs according to his riches and glory. And in the third one of indifference, he says, as much as lieth in you, live at peace with all men. In other words, make peace. So, Father, right now, if there's one that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, right now that you would come into their heart, that they would open their heart. That one that is struggling with isolation and feels like they're the only person in the world. They feel like the church hates them, the life group hates them, everybody hates them. They've even contemplated taking their own life. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke that right now. And I speak life into a death situation. For that one that's going through insolvency and feels like there's no way out, they're never going to make it again. They'll never thrive again. That is a lie of the devil. There's been people bankrupt numerous times that God brought them out of it. God, may they put you first. And Lord, may you bring them to be prosperous in the name of Jesus. For those here that are indifferent, Lord, may they see their enemy as their friend. May they go to them and realize that God has called me to love everybody, even if they hate me. In the name of Jesus, for that one that's lost, May they rest in the name and trust in the name of Jesus Christ today. Amen and amen.